Okay, I'm beginning because uh, I don't think we can wait too long, right? We've already uh, spent 15 minutes here. So let's begin and you're most free to interrupt and ask questions whenever you like, right? Now we're talking about four uh, different letters, right? And from different periods of time, right? The first letter uh, probably which we have, uh, which is important uh, is uh, uh, Charles Lamb's letter, right? That perhaps is the oldest letter that we have, right? And then after that, or around the same time, we have the letter by uh, Hazlitt, right? And I think when we are talking about uh, these two letters, uh, uh, Charles Lamb is actually writing a letter to Coolidge, right? And is talking about his kind of work. And that's the kind of content of the letter. So this is, though it is uh, talking to Coleridge, right? Uh, what it is doing is, it is uh, a fairly balanced letter uh, which we have, right? And it's talking about the idea of uh, editorial work, right? And the idea of how uh, there are things that are mentioned in the magazine or in the uh, the kind of journal that Coolidge is uh, irresponsible for, right? And uh, what happens over there is he is actually getting into a lot of nitty-gritty uh, materials over there, right? Now, Lam, as we know, is important because of his translation of Shakespeare, I'm using the word translation quite deliberately, uh, translation of Shakespeare into uh, uh, into tales rather than into a dramatic form and that's what becomes Lamb's tales from Shakespeare, right? Of course, we also know that when we talk about Charles Lamb, we're talking about Charles and Mary Lamb, right? And we also know that Mary Lamb is mentally deranged in a sense that she gets her, her parents killed, right? And Charles Lamb has, uh, of course, at one level, not able to get married because of this kind of mental problem. And the second reason is because um, he has to look after the sister, right? So that's uh, a very high mark for uh, Charles Lamb uh, and his selflessness. Uh, and of course, his prudence, right? Because he could have said that he wants to get married in spite of everything uh, and have a married life, right? But he chooses not to for the sake of uh, children that might be uh, deformed because of this kind of genetic disorder. Yeah, now this is another problem that I'm, yeah. So the, the genetic disorder that we are talking about, right, is something that uh, he's taking precaution for, right, and in in those respects, whether it's Hazlitt or it's Charles Lamb, we don't really have the idea of the romantic in a big way, right, from these letters, right. The only thing that we find in Hazlitt's letter, which is very romantic, is the, the kind of disorder that we find in the letter, right? 
So you have a long winding letter. It's, it looks as if, uh, I'm sure that he could have edited it, he could have cut it down, right? But he's running from one, one topic to another topic, to another topic, to another topic, right? Yeah, and of course, all of it, as many of you agreed, makes sense. We had a problem with his misogyny, right? And, uh, and that too is a question because uh, when we're talking about his misogyny, yeah, we are also looking at the idea that in some ways it's a good kind of antidote to some oversexed men, right? When he says, unless the woman is interested in you, don't run after a woman, right? Yeah, so that's actually uh, setting the balance right uh, because uh, you might have the very, very irritating men who think that women uh, do not uh, accede to them and therefore they harass women, they follow women, they stalk women, they do all those kind of things, right? So that's the only redemption that we have for the idea of gynophobia of uh, this man called Hazlitt, right? Though he also would be a romantic in many ways, but they, the idea is that uh, the people who call themselves romantics, right? He belongs to that kind of age, right? But there's a huge overload of what we call uh, neoclassicism, right? Whether you take somebody like Rousseau uh, or you take Walter or Rousseau, of course they are enlightenment people, right? But they are responsible for what you call the romantic uh, movement and also for the French Revolution, right? Yeah, so when we're talking about uh, the idea of the romantic, you can just see the huge volume of the letter that has been rights and that classes him into this uh, kind of uh, bracket which we call the romantic, right? Also you find that when he writes, he's giving you uh, poems and he's quoting from poetry, right, to uh, back up his claim and that also makes the letter rather long-winded, right? So when we're actually talking about Hazlitt and we're talking about uh, Lamb, right, so they're almost in the same period, right, and one is writing to Coolridge and one is writing to Sun, right? So, and we get the idea of the romantic, uh, especially from Hazlitt, right? I don't know whether we can really call Lamb a romantic in that way, right? But what is interesting about Lamb is the superannuated man, which is something that he writes when he retires, and he's talking about something that is a part of Hazlitt's letter. When Hazlitt actually is telling us, look, what happens is don't be mechanical, right? Yeah, the mechanical of a, a desk job and a government job with security gives you a lot of security, but you also miss out on fear and hope, which are part of real life, right? And the emotions of fear and hope actually signify a kind of uh, the unknown, right? So that's something which is important and that ties up uh, Hazlitt's kind of letter with a philosopher who we all know and who's called Hegel, right? And he's positing the idea of a modern history where tomorrow 
we don't really know what's going to come about, right? But he's got also his dialectic, and he's using the dialectic to talk about how one generation fights against the other generation, and you get a synthesis. Uh, so you get the thesis, the antithesis, and synthesis, right? So you can see all those things happening in the letter of Hazlitt, right? Of course, I can't say with any uh, surety that Hazlitt has actually read uh, uh, what's in it, Hegel, right? I can't say that at all, and I uh, I would uh, be very careful before I say that, okay? Because I don't know, right? And uh, but of course, you can see that there are, there are ideas which are moving around the place, and he's talking about uh, how people stand in opposition to their parents or their parents' wishes, right? And at the same time, he's doing something which we in our 20th century do not like. That is, advice is never good, never liked, and never welcome, right? Yeah, and if I give anybody advice, I'm sure to have at least verbal slippers thrown at me, right? So that's uh, something that is a change of generation, which we see happening in Rossi's letter to a teacher, when the teacher is actually looked at as an authoritarian, right, as a classicist, an authoritarian, a very conservative kind of person, right, who keeps the establishment of learning alive, right, and the letter Rossi and Clark, whatever that is, right, they actually take on the teacher after many years, and as we know, these are about eight letters that they, they write as a collective, and uh, they are published, right? And the letters are important because it's talking about people from a rural area and teachers from the urban area. We are talking about uh, the, the life of a teacher, and this is 20th century, okay? We are talking about the life of the teacher, which is from closed cars to closed elevators, to close living and no kind of open living or interaction with people, right? So that's the critique of the letter and also the critique of the letter is about the education system and we have an education system which of course doesn't encourage spontaneity, right? It doesn't, there's no spontaneity at all, right? And uh, we might go back and look at Hazlitt's letter when it's talking about spontaneous living from hope and fear, right? Also, we might like to look at Hazlitt's letter where he's talking about physical uh, appearance, physical fitness, right? Which comes in with dance, right? But he is very skeptical about uh, voice and singing and also acting, right? So, so all those things are problematic for us, right? And we can't uh, really say that everything is hunky-dory over there, right? So, uh, so when we're talking about these two letters, one from a student to a teacher, and one from Hazlitt to his son, we're actually at two ends of the spectrum, or the letters are going in different directions, right? One is a young person, talking to a teacher and the other is a parent talking to a child, right? Yeah, and uh, uh, the idea of course of both these letters 
because they are educational, are talking about the whole human being, right? And the the Rossi's letter is actually uh, a, a letter which is problematic for the teacher and problematic for anybody in the education system because the assumptions that the educational institutions make are something that goes against the brain of the students. You have something called PT instructions and the, the students say, well, we pull a whole log of wood, right? And you fail us in PT, right? Which is uh, an indictment of the whole educational system and the PT trainers, the PT teachers, yeah? And PT was uh, what the old thing is called physical training, right? Yeah, and you have another example because you have something called basketball or baseball or some kind of game which we don't know the rules of and but we know how to pull trees, we know how to light fires, we know how to, uh, yeah, we know how to cut trees, we know how to hang on trees, we know how to climb trees, which the physical uh, instruction teacher possibly doesn't know, right? Yeah, and uh, uh, so the question is, your exam system is rubbish, right? So that's what Rossi's letter is also saying. And it also says that you do not know people as people, right? Yeah, you're, you just think of me as a student, as a number in your class, instead of knowing me as a human being and a person, right? Uh, and with all the facets that I have and don't have, with my faults and my, uh, 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 my strengths and my faults, all those things, you, because of the system and because of all the other people in your system which valorize this kind of education, uh, that's why we have all these problems, right? And she takes uh, to task the idea of doing the classics and all those kind of things, right? Now, we can't say that is true about Hazlitt because Hazlitt is actually talking about a lot of contemporary painters He's also talking about music and he's also got this idea of learning the classics, learning Latin, how do you learn and how do you grow up, right? So he's not talking the language of Rossi at all, right? He's talking like a conservative who uh, actually thinks that the classics are important and everybody should learn them, right? And that's what a lot of the romantics also get trapped in, though you have the idea of spontaneity, which uh, Wordsworth talks about in the idea of his prelude, where he says, poetry is a spontaneous overflow of powerful feelings, right? So you have that kind of understanding, and the idea of the spontaneity comes in uh, Hazlitt's letter, when he actually is talking about uh, 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 the notion of fear and hope and a stable job which gives you security but doesn't help you to live with the guts or live your life from fear and hope, right? So by and large, I think uh, there are many, many ideas in uh, the letter of Hazlitt, right? As compared to all the other writers that we have, whether it's Charles Lamb, because Charles Lamb's letter is from one writer to another writer. It's about editing, it's about writing, and it's that's all that they say. Yeah. But when we look at Hazlitt's letter, it's talking about life, it's talking about 
a whole range of things which Rossi's letter is also doing but Rossi's letter is more of a complaint or more of uh, taking the teacher to task which is not normally available right yeah and we don't normally take a teacher to task and the teacher goes to their grave with the same dumb uh, understanding of themselves and of the teaching and of their syllabus and of everything else right but this is a feedback right this is a much deserved feedback right and it actually is a way of telling teachers well you know you think that you're teaching but you're not teaching you don't know what you're talking about you not lived life you not experienced life right you still live in a closed world you go by lift you go by the car you keep people out you do all those kind of things right and if you are saying that you're you're the teacher right you should be more considerate and you should see where we come from because you've not considered that at all right yeah and she's they are actually talking about the kind of environment they come from and that's why the whole experiment of taking them to a school and making them learn is very important right but the the teacher doesn't take that as any kind of premise to teach them right so the idea of subjectivity is has gone for a six which of course in hazlitt's letter he's talking about the subjective right whether it's walking and dancing or whether it's writing or learning latin or speaking or uh, taking on or befriending a woman or making a friend right and you get a lot of classical elements from shakespeare right uh, when you're actually talking about uh, polonius the speech to polonius and here again there is this question of dress and how much should you dress should you overdress or underdress right all those issues become very important and the idea of a friend uh, also becomes very important right so uh, hazlitt actually is dealing with a lot of these problems so the question which we might like to ask is how do you look at these two letters right can you say one is writing to the other right yeah what would what would hazlitt say to rossi's letter and what would rossi say to hazlitt's letter right of course the uh, rossi and the other students who have written these letters or the collection of letters would have a problem with all the classicalism of hazlitt right they would also have a problem with uh, him just talking about some poets and some painters right and not uh, caring about all the other things that are a part of their life right and they would also have a problem with the idea of the romantic right which is looking at the rural life and is glorifying rural life right so that's again something that they might have a problem with but hazlitt also is one of the people who are talking about a balance and he's saying don't be rude to the people who know less than you because they come from a a, a poorer background either because of their family or their location or whatever that is right yeah and or just that the cultural background of your uh, classmates is not as good as yours so you have to understand them and you have to talk and think about them right so that ties in with the idea of uh, the, uh, rossi's letter right so in many ways 
is actually saying, and is talking from a different position, is saying, well, as a child, you have to think about where people come from, how do they think, how do they act, try to understand them on their own terms, and that's important, and something that uh, uh, Rossi's letter is saying, the teacher hasn't done, right? Yeah. So uh, Coleridge's letter is talking about uh, opening up and it's talking about a future, and Rossi's letter is talking about a past, right? So I think that's that's very interesting. So they're in two different directions uh, from who's writing them to the present and the past, right? So I think uh, with that, uh, I will not talk too much about these two letters, and we've done Hazlitt and we've read Rossi in a good uh, amount of detail, right? And of course, Rossi's letter is 20th century and uh, is also interesting because we're talking about the crisis in education and the crisis in English studies, uh, which uh, is brought up when the people in England are people of the labor class who go to the university and after that, and that's in the 80s, and after that, we have the same kind of skepticism about what we are teaching in India, especially because of the caste system and the class system, right? Yeah. So uh, we have uh, a whole range of what is going on over there, and we also have an issue with all this. If you are aware of what has happened in the world, then. Uh, yeah, and the letter is actually saying all that has happened, right? This, the uh, letter is talking about assumptions that we have made as teachers and as people who are supposed to teach, but the teaching doesn't reach anywhere because the idea of the person and the idea of the individual and the idea of the subjective has not even penetrated the teacher or the teacher is unaware of where the students come from, right? Yeah. And uh, Hazlitt's letter is actually saying, be aware of where people come from, right? So you find a lot of differences taking place, though Hazlitt is written much earlier than Rossi, right? Yeah, and, and all the other students, right? Uh, and uh, the idea of uh, the, the, the whole range of sensitivity or the idea of the liberal mindset or the liberal education, no matter how many problems we had with that, Right? That's what Hazlitt letter is actually considering, right? And it's talking about being Catholic in your understanding of the world, right? And don't shove people out or don't shove ideas out uh, if you think uh, just because you have a narrow mindset, right? Or you are more comfortable in your own world, right? So look at other people, look at other uh, effects and try to see what you can do to make uh, the whole idea of your education uh, full and whole, right? So it's not talking about everybody, right? But it's also talking about people who are not so privileged. It's also talking about people who are not mentally capable. It's also talking about people who are economically uh, backward or poor, right? Yeah, so it's taking a lot of trouble to talk about a whole range of people, right? And it's talking about a very important element of education, that's humility, right? Which of course you can accuse Rossi's letter of not having any humility, right? Yeah, but of course 
is an important feedback instead of that in spite of that because it's actually saying it's telling the teacher look you're not even aware of what you're doing right yeah so the idea of humility doesn't come in and the idea of humility itself is questioned by Rossi's letter because when you quest when you're actually writing a letter like this to the teacher you say well we know right and you don't know that we know right and you don't know who we are that's what the letter actually says in these very very direct words right you do not know our background you do not know our life you don't know what we are talking about you're living in a, a teacup and we are living out in the world right so that's uh, there is no space for what you call humility over there right and uh, in fact we need to think about or question the idea of should we have humility when we study right or or is that an old understanding which is a false understanding of education right okay because we still think that we need a lot of humiliation uh, humility to the subject right yeah we actually have to be humble to the subject okay not to people but humble to the subject and see how the subject operates and uh, the assumptions of the subject have to be opened up right yeah so uh, the the idea of Hazlitt's letter is actually opening up all the issues that a young person might face and fall prey to and also be uh, disillusioned right and he's also yeah, when Rossi is actually talking about disillusionment right that the whole educational system is a, a disillusioning one because it doesn't teach anything that's worth it at all right but that again is a problem right because how can you say it doesn't teach anything at all if it doesn't teach anything at all how the letter right yeah so that's something you might wonder right uh, it's like one of the students came and said you know my parents are an awful lot of people right and I said well yeah but you've come here for an MA right and if you I can't believe you and I can't think that what you're saying is true right uh, what is this? No, I, I don't know what that is. Uh, yeah, so uh, uh, it, it's uh, so when it says that, look, what uh, what actually is happening is, if you're here, it's because of the parents, no matter how bad you think they are, right? But otherwise, without that kind of encouragement, how did you come to the MA? Right? So that's a question, right? So when Rossi is writing this letter, whoever the collective is, right? One is that they have the courage to write the letter, right? And that is actually the strength of the education system. When a student can take up a teacher and give them a mouthful and say, well, you're bloody shit, right? Sorry for using a modern slang, right? But when that kind of thing happens, that's a great day for a teacher, right? Because that means the student has been given enough of freedom and understands what education is and can stand up and actually give the teacher back, right, in a very rational manner, right, which of course I think the letter is doing and is not, is not impolite, right, because the manner in which the letter is written shows a lot of very care, careful consideration and is written back 
uh, is written in a way that is meant to provoke thought and not about uh, just getting back in the teacher so the teacher says well what do we do with such people we just throw the letter to the dustbin right yeah the letter is not written like that and is not meant to be taken like that either right and that's why it's printed and published and we read it right yeah so that's uh, what we are talking about right now whether Coolridge's uh, Hazlitt's letter should be read or published uh, that is for us to think about of course one of the things that we think about is this idea of disorder or the excess of the letter itself which is very romantic right so when we're talking about the romantic we're actually talking about excess whether it's poetry or it's drama or it's anything that the romantics do and they don't want to keep to a very definite strict kind of form right and i think that's the most interesting and most important thing that we learn from Hazlitt's letter right that is it's all over the place it's exceeding the bounds of a letter right and when you look at romantic poetry you look at romantic drama they don't keep to form like that and that's the romantic position how do i break form how do i expand my form how do i get out of form and they're struggling with all those kind of very interesting ideas which uh, gandhi's letter to tolstoy and uh, who else is there yeah? charles lamb's letter don't do right yeah because charles lamb's letter and gandhi's letter are actually talking uh, to people who they respect very much and have a great regard for okay though both of them take up take them on in different ways yeah and for gandhi uh, it's take, talking about the idea of uh, resurrection and uh, reincarnation re uh, reincarnation not resurrection right and he's taking it up with Tolstoy just like Rossi and others do right he's actually suggesting that Tolstoy should apologize or take the letter back because you shouldn't write to a Hindu and tell them that reincarnation is not uh, something that you should talk about right and he says that the Chinese and the Indians and many other kinds of people believe in reincarnation right now uh, so that's that's Gandhi's position which we talked about in detail because we have other people like Tilak uh, who for the age of consent bill is talking to the British and saying that we have our own culture right we have a culture that is uh, ours and we don't care about your age of consent bill because we have to stand up for our own culture right however wrong it is right so that's uh, a romantic position right but it's also not talking about the rights of women it's not talking about child abuse right and actually very serious child abuse because it actually means that uh, women or children who are married uh, had what you call uh, sexual encounters with the this so-called partner and you might read Tanika Sarkar and you you can find where this whole debate goes when you have Hindu wife Hindu nation and she's talking about what happens in Bengal when uh, one of these people who is into a child marriage during the act of sexual intercourse actually dies right and then the British come in and there's a huge debate about it and Tilak and all these people come in again uh, so that's where Tilak comes in and uh, the whole idea of the age of consent bill becomes a very complicated issue right 
and the question is Gandhi seems to be very romantic over there when he's telling Tolstoy uh, this is what you should actually not do right yeah and of course Gandhi's letter is also very very respectful and it's disgustingly respectful right because uh, he's talking as if uh, he's not he, there's very uh, there's a lot of false humility which I would think is false humility or what it is more likely is it's a style of writing which uh, attributes the idea of a persona of humility right it's not a real humility but you have to write I remain your obedient servant and all those kind of things which is some kind of I don't know if anybody I wouldn't say that right and a person like Gandhi would stand up with the British I can't imagine him saying that even if he admires somebody very much right yeah I'm not going to write I'm definitely not going to write I'm your obedient servant and I'm obediently and all those kind of things I can't do in my age right and maybe Gandhi didn't think about this idea form right yeah uh, he could have written your admirer Gandhi finished right that would be okay right which is not not a bad thing it's it's actually more honest in, than saying your obedient servant etc etc right yeah because I think that's and uh, if Rossi's letter was going to say that then it would be a, a kind of undermining of all that they've said in the letter right so uh, in many ways uh, of course Gandhi is asking for a rational explanation right? he's also asking Tolstoy to think about what he does and he's trying to say and he's asking also for permission to publish the letter right yeah and of course you have uh, Gandhi this response also is published right and we are talking about an age where letter writing is important right Nehru's letters to his chief ministers yeah is a very very important document right because how many people actually write uh, about their political life I, I think a few days ago there was a release of Pranam Mukherjee's four volume or three volume work where he's talking about his political life right and uh, we have of course few and far between at least in India we have people who are talking about their political life right you have a person called MC Chabla who's actually writing uh, who writes this book called Roses in December and he's talking about his life as a, uh, a judge right in India right so you have uh, that uh, is one of the important prose books and a long kind of a prose work which is important and the idea is how many people actually write or keep the letters and what is contained in their letter right I remember when I was a student we had a letter of Sivaji to uh, his minister or somebody of the sort right and of course that was in a uh, Marathi text or a Hindi text I think right yeah so it's talking it's showing Sivaji in a very interesting kind of light right where he's very observant about everything right and he says well be careful that a rat might run away with a lighted oil wick and the whole place might be set on fire right he's talking like most of the people who we are reading before electricity right yeah so we're talking about a time when there was no electricity right and uh, we're talking about rural areas again right where you have to keep a barn 
you have to store grain, you have to store hundreds of other things, and if there's a fire which is going to blow up everything, then it's not even okay for people uh, who have a militant kind of uh, approach to uh, uh, safety, etc. Right? Yeah. So I think uh, that this is something that we need to think about. Right? And uh, what's good about Gandhi and uh, uh, Lamb is that they're suggesting an alternative for the people they're writing to. Right? They're challenging their kind of positions and that's what's interesting about them, right? Now, uh, Gandhi's letter and Lamb's letter are more structured and are much, much shorter letters than uh, Hazlitt's. And of course, Rossi's letter also is very pointed, though uh, it's uh, a letter which is not very uh, common and useful, uh, uh, usually done, not useful, right? It's not very common, right? And the fact that uh, you have about eight people writing to a teacher and they're actually pulling the teacher up, not really as an individual, yes, as an individual to some extent, but also pulling up the whole system and saying, rethink your system of education. Rethink your system of education for people like us who are rural people, who are marginal people and who are not, uh, who are not quite up to the, uh, uh, the, the identification you have of a student, right? So it raises the question of what is a student? How do you look at a student in the first place, right? So if you uh, don't think about that, then your education system is in the cutter, right? Uh, Gandhi's letter is telling, uh, is telling Tolstoy, right? When you write uh, to a Hindu, think again, right? Because the, these are beliefs that people have, right? Yeah, and these are beliefs that uh, people, uh, not only in India, but in other parts of the world, including China, actually believe in this idea of resurrection, etc. Right? Now, of course, there's a lot of praise for Tolstoy, because Tolstoy is a writer, but he's also a person who has guts to experiment with these ideas and is one of the people who is not an ordinary person but a person who comes from what you call an aristocratic background that is a person who doesn't have to live uh, uh, by a job but by uh, family estates and incomes from property and what uh, is not earned by him right yeah so that's uh, the, the, the letter is written to a man who is one of the important kind of aristocrats in Russian society, right? So that's one. So I think that kind of boldness you get in three of the letters, though uh, and all of them are rather polite. They're not really rude, right? And they, we must remember that that kind of rude letters would not be worth it at all, right? Because they're keeping in mind the other person and how the other person takes uh, the points that they've made, right? And that's an important point, especially about letters and communication, right? Because if you write a letter that's going to piss somebody else off, sorry for using slang, right? It's going to irritate people, right? And the person turns 
uh, away from what you are saying to the manner in which you are saying things, then what happens is uh, the points that you have made are lost, right? So we must know, we must take up people, right? We must challenge them, we must criticize them, we must do all those things, but also talk very politely to them, as Gandhi has done, right? He's given uh, Tolstoy something to think about and challenged his understanding of rationality, right? But also what he's done is he's been very polite, though I don't like his politeness, right? And it's a very shrewd way of writing, right? Where you, uh, I, I remember my, my brother writing letters and he was, would read out his letter and he would say, well, I've given this person a kick and then after that, I've talked very nicely to them, right? So Gandhi's letter is of course that kind of letter, which is what you call a, uh, a lawyer's kind of position, right? Yeah. Okay, so you actually make somebody shudder for a minute and then you move out very sophisticatedly of uh, the discourse, right? So, uh, so that's something that I think we need to think about when we think about letter writing and style, right? And when we think about the contents of letters, right? Now, do all the letters make us think? Yeah, I think they all do, right? Though uh, Lamb's letter is a little more pedantic, right? And it's a little more uh, subjective than all the others, right? And sometimes we don't even know what he's talking about, right? But Hazlitt's letter, though it goes over the edge and it's all around the place and it doesn't seem very structured, it does have this kind of romantic structure to it, right? And it's taking on different kinds of aspects of reality and aspects of life like dancing and singing and stage and the idea of merit and it's also talking about the balance of the body and it's talking about the body, it's talking about social life, it's talking about the internal and the external. Yeah, so it does a lot of things, right? It might be a lot of a long letter, but when you talk about Hazlitt's letter, it's actually taking us into uh, a lot of very important areas and very important elements that uh, whether us the sun uh, accepts it or doesn't accept it, right? Uh, the, at least, uh, if even if the sun never thought about all those things, we think about all that when we read the letter, right? And of course, we are looking at it from the point of view of age, and we we are putting Hazlitt into the Romantic age, like we're doing Lamb, right? Yeah, and we're talking about the idea of what happens when we put people into these kind of age brackets and of course Gandhi and Rossi are of the modern age, right? So we are talking about this and so we might find, age-wise we might find Rossi's letter and Gandhi's letter uh, very close to each other historically, right? So I think that might be one element and also Gandhi is post-romantic uh, okay, and uh, Victorian actually, right? And Gandhi has seen uh, the poverty of villages, right? And also seen, uh, yeah. And of course, Gandhi, uh, we have a problem, or we might have a problem with him for his justification of uh, the caste system, etc., right? And uh, I don't think anybody can defend Gandhi on that when he says. Uh, caste is a gem of Hinduism. I don't think that anybody 
can uh, defend him at all because uh, that's towards today from a 20th century point of view it seems that he doesn't know what he's talking about right yeah it's just like his non-violence and he doesn't understand what non-violence is so he's talking about Tolstoy's non-violence right today our understanding of non-violence is different right and at his own time uh, the understanding of non-violence for him and Ambedkar were different things right Ambedkar had suffered a lot of systemic and epistemic violence right and Gandhi had no understanding that also is violence right so you don't think about how the system does violence to individuals how uh, the culture uh, actually robs people of uh, education and thought and cognitive ability etc right yeah so uh, you might like to look at all these aspects right and uh, the question is when Gandhi is taking on Tolstoy and the justification of the system of reincarnation when we think about it linked to the caste system and uh, how of course it's an intellectual debate right and if Tolstoy uh, I don't know what Tolstoy wrote about it but the question uh, and I don't I don't uh, do I have the letter I've not read it the letter to a Hindu right that of course I've not read but I uh, I think we need to read it and to see uh, what is the justification uh, uh, that he is offering because uh, he is talking about uh, class right and he's talking about equality right and he's taking a, a non-violent stand to the brutal kinds of Russian whippings that you get for the common people right so he's and Tolstoy is actually putting things into practice with his Tolstoy and that's why Gandhi talks about Tolstoy farm and now Tolstoy is also one of these aristocrats who gives up all his property for the poor people right so that's I don't know whether Gandhi would do that and uh, uh, I don't know how uh, I don't know much about Gandhi over there right but the idea of the caste system and the idea of reincarnation together uh, I think we need to think about that because with the idea of reincarnation we have it linked up with caste right and which is very very irrational and I don't think any of us as modern Indians can support that kind of irrationality right because it will it means that by your birth you are done and that's exactly what we have in India today with the BJP which is called uh, a fascist kind of movement and I take uh, Kaufman's view right uh, in Kafka when he's talking about Kafka the man before the law's tail when uh, this man stays for years and years and years and then the door is closed right yeah and then the the, uh, the gatekeeper says you should have entered right yeah so that's exactly what happens when uh, by your birth you are damned whether you're a woman or you're a Dalit or you're a black person or you're a poor person right yeah so uh, when we're talking about reincarnation and it's got something to do with the caste system uh, I don't know whether Gandhi uh, even was, uh, whether Tolstoy was aware of what was going on with the caste system right yeah and I don't know whether Gandhi uh, even thought for a minute 
that this is systemic violence and epistemic violence to other people who don't come from upper caste, right? Today we think of that because we've read Ambedkar, right? And I think that is something that uh, we can actually criticize Gandhi for, right? And if Tolstoy uh, thinks that caste uh, and caste and class are the same, then perhaps uh, you can forgive Tolstoy because he doesn't understand that, right? Yeah. Though at another level, when we go back to Rossi and we are talking about the Italian kind of system where they come from, we are talking also about a man called Gramsci who thinks that the uh, the poor and uh, the peasants, right? the farmers and the workers are what you call not ignorant they are intellectuals like many of us right and Gramsci's famous statement is uh, everybody is an intellectual though some are given the status of intellectuals right so you can't say that the farmers are dumb and stupid you can't say the women don't know whom they're marrying right uh, they love jihad right and you go and saying all those kind of very stupid, uh, and, uh, we actually think that women are stupid, farmers are stupid, all of us are stupid, right? You, all the people who are acting and the idea of agency is something that is associated with not thinking, right? That is not at all uh, there, right? And of course, it's not only me, right? At the, I think at the beginning of the year, it looked as if I was trying to fight for the farmers, right? But now at least the Chief Justice of India has at least opened his eyes and he's saying that well old people, women and children would not also be on the farmers protest if they were if they had no purpose and they actually see something wrong with the laws, right? Yeah. So at least uh, I don't like the Chief Justice for all the other things that he's done or things that he's not done, right? At least he's had the courage to come and say what he has to say, right? And that's very important because he also says we don't want their blood on our hands, right? Which is something that we need to think about in today's India, right? How many people's blood do we have on our hands, right? And does it mean that when the laws are passed that blood can be on our hands, right? Yeah, so I think uh, that of course we have to uh, uh, actually uh, talk about the Chief Justice in a much better light than we did before, right? Yeah, so we are actually talking about the question of epistemic violence, right? And we're talking about do people actually have agency, right? Yeah, and if my agency comes from the idea that I was uh, uh, in my past life, I got some benefits, right? Okay, then I don't know what kind of agency that is, right? Because the idea of me being in my present condition, whether it's poor or lower caste or woman or a disabled, right? All those things belong to a past life and uh, which I can't do anything about, right? And I don't have any proof that that's actually true. It's just a belief. Right? So the idea of this uh, idea of belief is a problem, though uh, belief is very strong. Uh, and uh, when we go back to Hegel, the idea of is uh, irrationality better than rationality? 
right? Yeah. So if we take Tilak and we take Gandhi and we take all these kind of people, uh, who many people mistakenly call post-colonialist, right? Then the question is, uh, and of course they, they are doing something with post-colonialism. Gandhi learns the language of uh, of the British, right? And Tolstoy uh, and uh, Tilak also does all those kind of things, right? Or some some degree of knowing their language, right? But the question is, uh, they are not they are glorifying irrationality because they are quite comfortable, right? Because uh, and of course we we know for a fact that Tilak and Gandhi are upper caste men were very privileged people, right? So when you have Rossi's letter, we're talking about an underprivileged person who's writing back, right? Who's actually taking on the system, right? So Gandhi is taking on Tolstoy, right? Yeah, but he's not looking at his own damn system, which is actually damning people before they're born into caste, okay? Yeah, he's not even looking at the idea that people are damned into poverty before they're born, right? Yeah, and uh, all those kind of issues. Uh, of course, we know about uh, what Gandhi says about uh, birth control, right? He And that's a very conservative kind of position that he has because he's talking about the rhythm method, etc., which doesn't work, right? And uh, that's something that's very important for him, right? Because other things are artificial and unnatural and some kind of understanding of what is the natural, right? So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of lot that we can go on talking, but I don't know whether I should do that, right? Uh, I think I can take some questions and uh, so that uh, you have your voice because I've talked too much, right? So I think I've said enough about all the letters, right? And I think we've read the letters very carefully, but uh, if you need to say something or ask questions, uh, and I have not done something, or you think that it should be taken up from a different kind of direction, you're most welcome to ask, right? And if you think or you want to argue against what I've said, please do, right?
So then are we done with this unit? Uh, what do, would you like to think of next?